All right, if you have a Bible, please turn to the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter number 3. And if you're physically able to do so, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? 1 Timothy chapter 3, we'll read the first seven verses uh, of this chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Verse 1 says, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. And uh, let's pray one more time together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage that uh, gives uh, wisdom and uh, instruction regarding uh, what a pastor should be like. And Lord, I pray that as I fulfill that role here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, that you would grant me your, your power, your wisdom. Lord, that I would be faithful to what we just read, that I would meet these qualifications, and that I would uh, continue to meet these qualifications and continue to fulfill the responsibilities that a pastor should have. And I pray, Lord, you'd help me to be faithful for a long, long time to uh, do the work that you've called me to. And I pray, Lord, uh, you would just guide our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Well, we are going through this series that we started, uh, well, a few months ago now uh, on Baptist beliefs, what we believe as Baptists, why our church name is Cornerstone Baptist Church, and why we don't just become Cornerstone Church. Uh, there's a reason for that. Uh, there's no denominational hierarchy that's checking to make sure that we do. It's just because this is what we believe as a church, that we are we are Baptists, and Okay, so we've gone through several of the Baptist distinctives already. Uh, we looked at the, the first letter. We're using the word Baptist as an acrostic. The first letter B stands for Bible-only authority. And uh, all of the rest of them come from the Bible. So that's the first and foremost one uh, in, in, this, uh, in, in our distinctives. Then uh, the letter A stood for and stands for the autonomy of the local church. Again, as I mentioned, there's no denominational hierarchy. Each individual church uh, is responsible to govern itself and uh, to provide its own pastor, to provide uh, its own direction and, 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 and government. Um, well, then we looked at the letter P, and that stands for the priesthood of the believer, and that I have access to God individually. I don't have to go through a pastor. I don't have to go through any other man. I can go to God by myself, and I should. And uh, the question we asked on that one is, are we using that, are we taking advantage of that access that we have in Christ? 
Well, then we looked at the two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and we spent a week on each of those. We spent a week talking about the letter I, which stands for individual soul liberty. I can't choose for you. You have to choose for yourself to come to Christ and be saved. But also, you and I are responsible and accountable for the choices that you and I make. And uh, we also learned in that message that uh, our choices affect myself. Uh, My choices also affect others, and my choices also affect future generations. So big-time thoughts there regarding our choices. And then last Sunday night, we looked at the letter S, which stands for security the believer, and we talked about once we are in Christ, we're secure in Christ, and nothing can separate us from the love of God, and that uh, we get placed into His hand, remember that? And uh, Joel tried to get that quarter out of my hand and was unsuccessful, even though he said it was totally happening. It wasn't totally happening. And, uh, and uh, you and I are completely and totally secure in the hand of, hand of our Savior and in the hand of the Father. Well, now we come to the second T, and that stands for two offices. Two offices. Two offices in the church, and the first one being the pastor, and in the second office is the deacon. And so tonight we're going to focus on the office of the pastor. And so as I mentioned tonight, this message is directed most of all to me. And uh, certainly as, as some of you go off into uh, different you young people who move away and go, do, go somewhere else and look for a church down the road, I hope that you'll remember this message and be looking for a pastor that fits what the Bible says here in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and also in Titus chapter 1 as, as we get some, some real good descriptions of what a pastor should be. Now someone once accurately wrote this about a pastor. He said, the pastor teaches, though he must solicit his own classes. He heals, though without pills or knife. He is sometimes a lawyer, often a social worker, something of an editor, a bit of a philosopher and entertainer, a salesman, a decorative piece for public functions. And he is supposed to be a scholar. He is supposed to visit the sick. He marries people, buries the dead, labors to console those who sorrow and to admonish those who sin, and tries to say, stay sweet when chided for not doing his duty. He plans programs, appoints committees when he can get them, spends considerable time in keeping people out of each other's hair, and between times he prepares a sermon and preaches it on Sunday to those who don't happen to have any other engagement. And then on Monday, he smiles when some jovial chap roars, what a job, one day a week. (laughs) And uh, as I read that, I thought, how true. Uh, That is a good description of a pastor. Um, And yet today we want to look at what the Bible says a pastor should be, okay? And that's one man's uh, definition. But let's look at God's definition of what a pastor should be and uh, what uh, he should be doing. All right, and so tonight, let's learn us number one, the biblical reality of the pastor. The biblical reality of the pastor. In verse number one, Paul says this regarding a pastor, uh, and there are a few words that are used interchangeably in the Bible to uh, mention uh, what a pastor is and what a pastor should be, and uh, you know, these I could be called Elder Johnson, although that would be definitely a, a Mormon-esque type of a phraseology, and I, would, I prefer the word pastor here. But 
Um, but we'll, we'll look at some of these words here in, in a few moments. Well, verse 1 of uh, chapter 3 says, This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. You know, if someone were to say, you know, hey, what do you, uh, to a young person, you, what do you want to do? And if, and if one of them said, I, I want to be a pastor. If a young man said, I wanted to be a pastor, well, then that's, that's desiring a good work. That's a good thing to desire, and uh, it's a good work, but it is a work. <laughs> it, it's not an easy job. It's not an easy situation. And uh, so here's, here's some uh, Bible words that talk about uh, what the office of the pastor is like, all right? First of all, we see the word uh, presbyteros, and that's translated to the word elder, which means president, presider, or moderator. So this kind of gives a, a little bit of an overseer type of a uh, mentality, uh, and someone who's more mature in the faith doesn't necessarily mean they have to be old, uh, but they just need to be mature in the faith. Uh, one of the things um, he says here in uh, verse number 6 of this passage, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. So uh, someone who gets saved, who got saved last week, we probably shouldn't make them the pastor of the church. Uh, not to say that, you know, they don't have a heart to do it and, and uh, you know, Maybe they fit some of these qualifications here, but, but they're, they're, they're new. We need to, they need to be proven. They need to be tested, and, and uh, that takes time. Uh, so not a novice. And uh, presbyteros indicates that they are mature in the faith, and they're, you know, I remember when I turned uh, 35 years old, uh, one of my friends from California texted me and said, uh, Hey, happy birthday. So you're uh, old enough to be the president of the United States today and wise enough not to be. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's pretty good. <laughs> so now I tell everybody who turns 35 that same thing. Um, now, being president, it's not this I'm in charge mentality. It's a, hey, there's a lot of weight that comes with being a president of some type of company or some type of organization. Uh, certainly the President of the United States carries a huge burden and a load on him that nobody really understands unless you're in that role or you've been in that role. And uh, same thing with a pastor. It's really kind of hard to explain. And, you know, I worked for a pastor for 15 and a half years as one of his staff members. And then, and then we went to uh, Montana and I got to kind of serve alongside as a deacon in the church there in Montana and got to see, uh, and, you know, I had this family relationship with my pastor as well as a church relationship, and so I was able to see it a little bit more, but I didn't fully understand it until I got here to Oklahoma, and I went, okay, so this is what being a pastor is all about. Um, it's, there, there's a heavy load. So a letter A is, is that word there that's translated in the Bible, elder, and there it's, it's found several times, and we won't take the time to go through all of these. Um, next, letter B is uh, episcopus, which is translated bishop, and that's found here in, uh, in, in verse 1 and 2 of this passage. And this means superintendent of the working force. And so this gives a, an idea of an overseer, that is supposed to be kind of watching and making sure things are running a certain way. 
And, uh, and that is one of the responsibilities of the pastor is to be an overseer. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that a little later. All right, uh, letter C, poimen, uh, which is translated pastor or shepherd. And that means the one who cares for the members or the sheep. And uh, that is a good, uh, I think that's the best description that we have here for what this, this office is. Um, to really care for the members of the sheep. Now, the other parts are, are accurate and, and part of the office, but this one, I think, is the best of the, of the three. And then there's a couple more here. Keruks, which translated preacher, means one who heralds or proclaims divine truth, especially of the gospel. Um, and so when we... Uh, you know, one of the things that I do is preach, but really what I am is, my, is I'm the pastor, and that's a little different than being the, just the preacher. Now, I do, one of the things I do is preach. I need to do that. I've been called to do that, but I'm more than just the preacher. I'm also the pastor. I'm the under-shepherd. Now, I'm not the shepherd. That's Jesus Christ. I am the under-shepherd, though, under Him but I am to care for the sheep that God has placed in the flock that God's given us here at Cornerstone. All right, and then the last word that describes a little bit of the reality of the pastor, and that is uh, didaskalos, and I may be saying that a little bit wrong. Yes, uh, that's translated the word teacher, which means one who teaches the word of God. And uh, that's one of the things that I'm supposed to be doing, preaching and declaring the Word of God, but also teaching it as well. And that's one of the things we're kind of doing in this series. It's, uh, it's a little bit of preaching, but it's a little bit of teaching as well. It's a little bit of both. So the biblical reality of the pastor, um, it is a biblical reality, and it is something that um, a church should have. A church should have uh, one pastor that is... Uh, leading, and then and then he may bring in some other pastors, which we have just done. We have brought in Brother Blake to be our youth pastor, uh, to really work with the youth, the 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 young people, the teenagers, and to help them and to shepherd them and to grow them. And so that's the biblical reality of the pastor. But secondly, I want us to see here the biblical requirements of the pastor. So as a church is looking for a pastor, these are some requirements that whoever the candidate would be should meet, uh, must meet, if you want to be uh, looking for a, uh, a pastor that fits biblical qualifications, which I think that that's very wise to do. And if, you, you know, uh, if, if you're not going to follow these, then okay, that's, that's your choice, but uh, it's a very foolish thing to not follow what God has clearly laid out here. So a couple requirements, and uh, really there's a lot of requirements. We're going to kind of break it down into two main ones tonight. First of all, uh, this pastoral candidate must be blameless. Blameless. Verse number two, it says, first of all, a bishop then must be blameless. Now notice it doesn't say the bishop must be sinless. (laughs) I'm thankful for that. Because I am not sinless. I am a sinner, saved by grace, and I still battle the flesh, just like you do. I'm just a sinner, 
there is nothing more special about me than there are than there is you. Look, the ground is level at the cross. I am literally a sinner saved by grace, just like you. All right. However, God does want us to uh, pastors to be blameless. Look, if I have a you know a big track record of of doing a lot of bad things uh, that are. That, that would be unwise if, if I have a big track record of stealing money, probably not the best idea to bring him and let him be the pastor. All right? Um, so a bishop must be blameless. Uh, if you kind of hold your place here in, in Timothy and flip over to Titus chapter number 1, I want to see this here. In verse number 6, verse number 5 here, Let's pick it up there. This is the other passage that talks about uh, the requirements or the qualifications of a, of a pastor. Verse number five says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had pointed thee. So, you know, Titus, I want you to go into Crete, this island, and in every city I want you to set up a pastor and, uh, and, and establish some churches and put a pastor there. Now, here's what the requirements for these pastors should be in verse number 6. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. Verse 7, for a bishop must be blameless. So it's mentioned three times, uh, once in verse 6, once in verse 7, and then again uh, back in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. So, Blameless is a very important requirement of the pastor. Now, in what areas should he be blameless in most of all uh, that, that uh, we find here? First of all, uh, he is to be blameless in his marriage. He is to be blameless in wisdom. And uh, he is to be uh, blameless in his family relationships, in his marriage. Verse number, uh, well, if, if your Bible's still open to Titus chapter 1, it says in verse number 6, the husband of one wife, and then having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly. And then if you go back over to 1 Timothy 3, verse, one, verse 2, must be blameless the husband of one wife. All right? Uh, and then in verse number 4, the family connection is continued here. One that ruleth well his own house having his children in subjection with all gravity. Okay, and some people uh, take this and say, well, this means that uh, he just can't have more than one wife. Uh, as far as this is anti-polygamy. And, uh, and certainly that, that applies. I mean, if I had three wives, well, I would have even much less hair than I have now. Uh, but anyway... Uh, that's not really, there, there's a couple interpretations of this. Again, this is kind of more teaching versus preaching tonight. Um, one interpretation is that the husband of one wife meant that he shouldn't have two or three or four wives, right? Or multiple wives. Another interpretation is that he needs to be married, number one. And number two, he needs to be uh, not divorced, and uh, as I was doing study on this, and I know I kind of where I prefer to, to be, but I was looking, at, uh, looking this up and finding out that, you know, more likely than not, Paul was referring to the not divorced scenario. Um, 
because uh, one of these things uh, can be, uh, most of these things he can solve within the prayer closet. He can get right with God about, okay, not uh, greedy of filthy lucre. Uh, let's say a pastor is dealing with that and he's like, man, I'm just kind of greedy and I just want, I just want to get a lot of money. Well, he can go to the prayer closet and fix that. But he can't go in the prayer closet and fix the fact that he's been divorced. Um, and so that's why Paul put that here uh, to say, look, this is something that, you know, if you're trying to lead your church family to uh, have a godly home, then, uh, boy, the pastor better have a good godly marriage and home that is an example because one of the other responsibilities is for a pastor to be an example to the church family. And so one of the ways he can do that is through his marriage. And so um, there are a lot of pastors I know who have gotten into a divorce and then go and are still pastoring somewhere. Um, that's between them and the Lord. Um, I, I think biblically uh, they have a very weak case to justify their particular decision in doing so. And uh, I'm not going to be the one to call them up and tell them they shouldn't unless I'm a friend of theirs, and then maybe I would say, are you really sure you should be doing that? Um, anyway, a, a pastor, though, does need to be blameless in his marriage, and uh, he th that, that particular part of uh, his family relationship is mentioned. Uh, wisdom is also mentioned here, but then also his family relationships having uh, having rule ruling well over his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Remember when uh, Cornerstone Baptist Church brought our whole family out here and uh, we got to do some bowling. How many were there that night, got to do some bowling or that afternoon? That was a good time. Uh, I thought that was a good idea to kind of see how the family got together and how the family was, uh, how the children were under mom and dad's supervision. And uh, if we were a family that, uh, that fit, verse 4, one that ruleth well his own house. And I can tell you this, it's not perfect. Um, we have some challenges from day to day, just like every family. But um, I think that God had some great wisdom when he put these uh, particular requirements in the word of God here. And because he, he said in verse number five, look, if man not know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? If, he, if he's struggling to keep things together at the home front, how is he going to do it at the church front? Um, and so there's, a real, there's real wisdom in that uh, that uh, Paul mentions. And then, of course, the Lord was the one who oversaw that. In verse number six of Titus chapter one, it says, If any be blameless, the husband of one wife having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly. Now, have our children never been unruly? Never one time have they ever been unruly when they were sleeping. <laughs> I'm like, you guys are the best kids ever when you're sleeping. Uh, they're not perfect. Have they been unruly from time to time? Yes. But if that's the pattern of life, then... Uh, and those are, those are difficult roads to, to go through. Um, I've been around pastors who've had children go wayward. And then it's, they feel like, oh, now I need to quit, quit being a pastor. No, not necessarily. I mean, it depends. It depends. 
So uh, those are some those are some tough uh, bridges to cross. Um, I hope to never have to cross those bridges personally, um, but it's possible. Um, and so as we get as as a pastor goes through those different stages of life, those are things that you have to deal with. But a pastor does need to be blameless in his marriage, in wisdom, and his family. He also must be behaved. Uh, pastor must be behaved. In verse number uh, 2, it says this, A bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober. Now you think, sober? Uh, that doesn't just mean that I'm not drunk. All right? That doesn't mean that uh, you know I don't get drunk off of... Uh, off of wine or anything like that. No, it's it's more of a serious mindedness, and uh, the, requ- the a pastor needs to be not just thinking everything's just a big joke all the time, but to have some serious uh, a serious mind when it comes to the work of God. But then it says of good behavior, of good behavior, and so I need to have, or the pastor needs to have good behavior, and it needs to be seen and. And uh, understood, and it's it's hard to get that in a couple visits. Um, I know you had me out once, and then you had you had a, our family out, and it's hard to really catch all of this in in one or two visits. Um, but hopefully, uh, over over the course of time, you've you've seen that we've tried to exhibit these things, not perfect in any way, shape, or form, but we've tried to fulfill these requirements. Okay, what, in what ways should we be behaved? Well, in hospitality, in holiness, in temperance, and in finances as well. In all of those. In verse number uh, 2, it says here, given to hospitality. So, uh, someone who enjoys being around people, all right? And uh, you probably have heard the expression, the ministry would be great if it wasn't for people. Uh, that's not that's not how I feel, and that's not how a pastor should feel, because people are ministry, and it's one and the same. Um, now I enjoy studying and preparing, and and uh, and doing that and preaching, but I also enjoy being with all of you and talking with all of you and fellowshipping with you, and and a, and a pastor should be given to hospitality, enjoying. Um, ministering to people, enjoying uh, having people over to his home and, and uh, investing in the lives of others. So a pastor should be willing to do that. They also should be apt to teach. And they also should not be given to wine. So again, we kind of talked a little bit about that a moment ago. They shouldn't be a striker. So I shouldn't be going around punching everybody in the throat because they looked at me crossways or they fell asleep in church. Well, I'm going to go punch you in the throat and say, how do you like that? Uh, that's that would not be the definition of a good pastor. All right. Uh, also, again, here not greedy of filthy lucre, and that's the um, that's the behaved part in our finances. I I need to not be serving for the purpose of getting a paycheck. I this is, this shouldn't be a job to someone. This should be a holy calling from God. That hey, regardless of pay or no pay, I'm going to do this because this is where God has called me. That's what a pastor should be. So he's not greedy of filthy lucre. In fact, uh, if you turn over to uh, 1 Peter chapter number 5, 
This is another passage that talks about uh, what a pastor should be doing, um, not necessarily requirements, but uh, here we go in verse number uh, 2 of 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint. It's not like because I have to. Like I could, There's no, nothing else I can do, so I have to do this. And I guess I got to preach because, uh, you know, they're going to make me do it. It's not a, not a sense of obligation uh, because I have to, but it's like, I want to do this. I'm, I can't wait to preach. I can't wait to uh, minister in this way. So not by constraint, but willingly. And he says, not for filthy lucre, not for a paycheck, not for the almighty dollar, no but of a ready mind, like, hey, I'm wanting to do this. This is a blessing. This is an honor. This is a privilege. And uh, that's how we feel about it. Uh, that's how I feel about it. So in hospitality, holiness, uh, temperance, again, not going around punching everybody uh, that uh, doesn't agree with me, not a brawler, uh, not covetous. I'm not looking to start fights. I'm not argumentative. I'm not trying to be... Uh, disruptive and and uh, try to get in people's faces and and uh, that type of thing. No, it's uh, someone who's well behaved. All right, and so there's a lot more we could talk about. Well, let's go over to I'm sorry. Uh, let's go to Titus chapter number one here again, and and let's look at what it says there in all of these things. And again, it, it says a lot of the same things, just worded a little bit differently. And I'd like to read it. Verse seven: For the for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. Not self-willed, not soon angry. Now, do I get angry? Yes. I'm human. Okay? But it says not soon angry. I like that. Now, the word soon there is up to interpretation. (laughs) So, I could say, hey, it took me three seconds instead of two to get angry. So, I'm, I'm not soon angry. I'm doing good. No, it, we should have as 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 pastors a very long fuse where it takes us a long time to get angry. Um, we're going to get angry, but not soon. Not given to wine, no striker. Not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober. I'm just. Try to be fair, and then here's that word holy, and I'm temperate, self-controlled. Um, now, I'm not always self-controlled in every aspect, but I, it's something I'm working on and something I, we all need to be working on. It's one of the uh, part of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Temperance. But uh, we're to be temperate and self-controlled. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. All right, so he must be behaved. He must be blameless. He must be behaved. Um, someone wrote this, uh, Bob Moorhead in The Growth Factor, his book, The Growth Factor, said this, God, give us men ribbed with the steel of your Holy Spirit, men who will not flinch when the battle's fiercest, men who will not acquiesce or compromise or fade when the enemy rages. God, give us men who can't be bought, bartered, or badgered by the enemy, men who will pay the price Make the sacrifice, stand the ground, and hold the torch high. God, give us men obsessed with the principles true to your word. Men stripped of self-seeking and a yen for security. Men who will pay any price for freedom and go any lengths for truth. 
God, give us men delivered from mediocrity, men with vision high, pride low, faith wide, love deep, and patience long. Men who will dare to march to the drumbeat of a distant drummer. Men who will not surrender principles of truth in order to accommodate their peers. God, give us men more interested in scars than medals, more committed to conviction than convenience. Men who will give their life for the eternal instead of indulging their lives for a moment in time. Give us men who are fearless in the face of danger, calm in the midst of pressure, bold in the midst of opposition. God, give us men who will pray earnestly, work long, preach clearly, and wait patiently. Give us men whose walk is by faith, behavior is by principle, whose dreams are in heaven, and whose book is the Bible. God, give us men who are equal to the task. Those are the men the church needs today. And this is a man that I hope to be for Cornerstone Baptist Church and desire to be. Uh, With that, we'll go ahead and stop, and uh, we'll pick it up here next week on the biblical responsibilities of the pastor. What should a pastor be doing? Uh, But then at the end of the message next week, um, I am going to kind of turn the table a little bit and and talk to you about uh, our relationship that uh, you should have with the pastor. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, allowing us to be here tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to discuss this very important office within a church. Uh, Lord, it's been misused, it's been abused uh, many times over the course of the centuries. But Lord, I pray that uh, you would help um, me as I fulfill this role to continue to meet the biblical requirements of a pastor. Lord, I pray that you would grant us wisdom as a family, that uh, you would help us to have time together and have a healthy family life. And uh, Lord, I pray for our children that you would help them as they grow and they uh, develop, it's, they're in a tough spot. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless them and help them, Lord, to uh, fulfill your will for their lives. Uh, thank you for our church and uh, the, um, just the grace that they have shown us since we've arrived. And uh, Lord, I pray you'd help us just to continue uh, being an effective, um, help me to be an effective pastor in the days ahead. And uh, Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.